Good morning. If you would, uh, turn, to me, turn with me to uh, Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. I have the privilege this morning of uh, uh, doing the charge to the church. And so rather than going a unique route, uh, why reinvent the wheel, I say, when Paul already did this to the church. And so as we look at this passage, we have to determine, can we take this and apply it to ourselves immediately? And like I said, with most biblical passages, it's important to figure out what the original hearers heard and then try to apply it to yourself. However, today, despite the cross differences in time, circumstance, and and culture, I believe that we can apply this directly to ourselves. So, again, that's First Thessalonians 5, 12-13, Paul gave this charge. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. You see, I don't think we need to do much exegesis with this because it can be directly applied to us. Again, despite the difference in time, despite the difference in culture, despite the difference in uh, uh, circumstances, principles never change. And this is simply spelling out principles, biblical principles. The fact that these are timeless and cross-cultural should not surprise us. The fact that another pastor is talking to you about esteeming and hold in high regard another pastor shouldn't take away from the credibility because I'm simply pointing to God's truth. Amen? So, uh, speaking about Scott, Scott labors among you. If you look at our primary passage, the word is among you. So Scott truly has labored among you. And it's very obvious because you've seen the fruit of his labor. You've seen his labors in action. And all these things I'm proud to say as a friend of, of Scott is that these are an attribute, an outflow of, an outcropping of, a byproduct of his love for you, the church. In, in, in the New Testament, it's called the Ecclesia, the gathering. So that's what Paul's saying. This is, this is you, the church. And so uh, Todd, or excuse me, Paul, um, Scott loves you, and his love for your church is very ob- for this church is very obvious, and for specifically the young people in this church as well. So the terminology, again, in our scripture here says it's, he's over you in the Lord. Uh, that's very unique because I look across like four or five versions. There's probably six, seven versions representing this room today. If you look down at, down at your version there, it probably does say over you in the Lord. And so that over you implies some kind of authority, does it not? And, and with that, hopefully that's biblical authority, right? And the, the converse of that is that there's some kind of submission, and that's biblical submission. And so that being said, it's something's required of our church. There's an authority required of Scott and a submission required of us, the church. And as such, I was sort of looking at this going, man, this church seems familiar, like I spoke about this, and I had actually a couple years back. So if you don't mind, I'm going to quote from the sermon. It's going to be a little out of, little out of context here, but uh, it's a sermon about submission and biblical submission and what it looks like and the benefit therein. But it goes like this, and again, it's a little bit out of context, so follow, follow with me. We begin to pedestalize ourselves and our view of, of others all the while using parts of the Bible that we like best as our ammunition. And so I ignore the likes of Romans 13, which tells me to submit to the authorities of the world, and I certainly ignore all the more the authorities within the church. If leadership wants to use a particular methodology in growing people in Jesus Christ, we give it lip service to the methodology and yet never come together and benefit from the momentum that such collaboration would give for the cause of Christ and his kingdom here in Beaverdam. You see, what I'm asking of you simply is that you would collaborate. Part of my charge to you is that you would collaborate with Scott's godly vision for the student ministry, that you, you would, you would um, collaborate and come alongside him in, in, in every aspect you can. So uh, 
you know, I say that, but understand that I don't think that, and I'm just trying to keep it real here, Scott, that everything's going to run without blemish, right? Just keeping it real here. Um, but what I do expect is that we are called to esteem him highly and in, uh, with love. So, uh, and, and why should we do this? Look at our passage. Because of his work. And his work is good. His work is godly. So well, some of the things about Scott, and uh, um, actually I appreciate you guys up here while I was talking about you. So, um, one of the things I liked about Scott is what, what, some of his spiritual giftedness. Um, that's God-given, and I believe leadership is some, one of those, and discernment, and those are things that he actually uh, acknowledges as well. Uh, I would add exhortation to that myself because he exhorts God's truth. Um, but there are some, some things that, uh, you know, he has, let's, say, let's call it lesser spiritual giftedness, right? Again, just keeping it real, Scott, sorry. You know, he's got some lesser spiritual giftedness. It's in those areas, again, part of my charge is not to criticize, but to come alongside him, again, to collaborate, to, to balance him out, get involved. I mean, how should, the, how should the church work? I mean, what's the most common metaphor used in the New Testament of how the church should work? It's always referred to as the body of Christ, and often over and over again. So that's how we come together uh, and, and call the work, we're called to work and serve together to provide stability and steadiness for the, for the work of Jesus Christ's kingdom here on earth. And I think that's the best way we can come alongside Scott and, uh, and, and help him. So, and I realize, you know, this is easy to say because Scott understands uh, the truth of God's word insofar as uh, the wise man listens to advice, Proverbs 12. Uh, Many advisors make victory sure, Proverbs 11. He's not only awaiting your collaboration, your help, he is proactively seeking your cl- collaboration and help. So uh, that's, that's kind of the, the heart that allows God to be balanced in the way he approaches what he does here. He's actively seeking it. And so he demonstrates these characteristics time and time again, over and over. He and his wife came to this church January 3rd, 2010. The reason I know that is because it's one of a few Sundays that I was out of town, and they came into the, su- into the Sunday school classroom, and I wasn't there, and I was like, oh, a new, new, new class, a new, uh, a new couple. And I know how delicate that Sunday school attendance can be because someone, someone young in the, in, the, in the faith, and I didn't know them at the time, uh, they may be young, they might have been very mature at the time. I didn't know that it was so difficult to get them to connect consistently. But they had that heart attitude of leaning forward into, into seeking righteousness, into seeking knowledge and righteousness in God's kingdom. And they had this for the years. They never, they never, t- they never treated this church like a, uh, like a country club. They're always seeking to serve others, to love others. And th- that being said, what, what typically happens when that happens is uh, there's, there's a search and for knowledge and righteousness, which is part of their, their being, and that's when service and giving of themselves comes out and comes to the forefront, and you see it over and over again. So this next charge to you as part of this is I have to give with some, some level of humility, uh, respect, um, and balance, I suppose, as well, uh, maybe, maybe with some boundaries. But Paul once wrote in 1 Corinthians, and this is so cool because I was given a T-shirt a couple days ago, uh, from somebody, a brand new t-shirt that I ended up forwarding right to Scott because it had this verse on it. And so my charge to you is to follow Scott as he follows Christ because Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow my example as I follow example, the example of Christ. That's kind of a big deal. That's kind of a big charge. And, and, and so, again, I urge you to follow Scott's examples in these things as he strives to follow Christ. Um, submit to him as he submits to the Holy Spirit's leading in his life. Um, and so, when we show res- respect and honor and, 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 and it's proper esteem that way, it sets us up for success. It sets us up for an outcome. And if you look at our verse there, it says that, be at peace among yourselves. So that's only possible 
in my opinion, when the church family mimics the submission structure of our families. That is, peace comes only when we submit to the authority God placed over us. For the faithful pastor, it's submission to the Holy Spirit. For the faithful, for the faithful husband and father, it's submission to Jesus Christ. For the faithful wife, it's submission to the husband. For the faithful children, it's submission to the parents. And for the church, it's submission to the faithful pastor who is over you. So again, living at peace with one another only comes when we, respect, when we, when we submit to our respective authority. So I urge you, as part, of this, as part of this charge, do not stop praying for Scott Pond and his wife Jessica and his family. Do not stop recognizing him. Do not stop appropriately esteeming him. And the church will be at peace. And when the church is at peace, just like a child who is at peace and security and safety, they will blossom, they will grow. This church will blossom and grow spiritually, especially for the kingdom of God amongst our young people. And so I pray that God will bless you, Scott and Jessica. I pray further that this church will bless God by blessing you. And so if you, as a church body, accept this charge today, please do so by saying amen. Amen. All right. Thank you. My responsibility this morning and privilege is to charge Scott Pond as a brand new pastor here, challenge him, but also uh, caution him about the ministry. And uh, giving you a charge, Scott, is very simple this morning. All I want to tell you is keep doing what you're doing. That's your charge, okay? I want to share a couple of thoughts from God's Word, though. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me, if you will, to Psalms chapter 1, the first three verses of the book of Psalms. As you're turning there, I want you to understand something very precious about both the book of Psalms and the book of Proverbs. The book of Psalms talks about our relationship with God. The book of Proverbs talks about our relationship with each other, with other human beings. And I think it's wise counsel, first of all, that uh, all of us read a book from the Psalms and a book from Proverbs every single day. What does that do? It affirms our relationships with God and with other people, but also it challenges us to live that godly life, first and foremost in the presence of God, but also with each other. But if you found your way to Psalms chapter 1, stand with me this morning, if you will, out of reverence and respect to the reading of God's word. just going to read three verses. It says, Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his delight he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth fruit in its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and, whoever, and whatever he does shall prosper. May God bless the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. <clears throat> I was blessed with a godly father, and I grew up in a godly home, and I saw God in my father. And he was, he was a, a man that was a patriot, but he was also a man first and foremost as a as a man that loved God. And he showed it in his actions. He showed it the way he carried his life. But he also showed it in the way he taught me and the way he grew me up. You know, you can only imagine how disappointed I was and how shocked I was when I realized that not every father is like that. I also grew up with a very godly man as a pastor. For most of my young age, until I graduated from college, I had the same pastor, a man by the name of Cecil Anderson, and I love this man. He was like a second father. And he loved me. I knew that. He had a good-sized church. But you know what? He found time to pay attention to me. came to visit me twice at my college, wrote me letters occasionally. And I just loved this man and, and, and valued his counsel in a great way. 
I even had the privilege of doing his funeral when he died a number of years ago. Do you know what? Once again, you can only imagine my surprise and my disappointment when I found out that every pastor wasn't like my pastor, Cecil Anderson. The book of Psalms we just read here talks about godly men and ungodly men. The first two chapters of the book of Psalms, chapters 1 and 2, basically outline the whole book of Psalms. It gives a presence there. And it talks about the things that we can do to have that godly walk. The whole book is like that. We see people not walking with God, but we also see how to walk with God. David, one of the, one of the great authors of the Bible, of the book of Psalms, talks about having that relationship with God. I want you to notice how the scripture started this morning. It started with, blessed is the man. Blessed. If you were to look up the grammar there and the, uh, the actual English behind that and the Latin behind it, blessed is plural. And so God's not telling us just blessed one time is the man, but he's saying blessed, 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 blessed is the man of God. Blessed is the man can be. God doesn't just dole out his blessings one at a time. He pours them out like a river when we're walking where we need to be walking. What a privilege. What a blessing. What an incredible responsibility to be a pastor, Scott. I don't think there's a greater challenge nor a greater calling in a man's life. In fact, I've told people over the years, if they ask me to be president of the United States tomorrow, it would be a demotion from being a pastor of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Scott, I've seen you grow. I remember the day you walked into our church the first time, you and your precious family. And one of the great delights, and we talked about this just a few minutes ago, is to see God's hand on another person and see that light grow brighter and brighter and brighter. And we've seen that in you, sir. We've seen that in your family. We've seen you love your family like God loves them. We've seen you love other people like that. We've seen you dig into your Bible like never before. And we've seen you just grow and grow. And part of my challenge is you continue to do that. From the scripture that we have this morning, I want to point out two things and two ways I want you to look going forward here. Two things that you can look at and questions you need to ask. God's word tells us that we need to look around. What do I mean by that? Look at verse 1 again. We just read there for a second. Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scornful. I want you to look around, and I want you to always ask, daily maybe, how am I being influenced, and who is influencing me? First and foremost, it should be God. God influencing you. Then your precious bride, it's your, your, your great counterpart there, and the great helpmeet in your life too. Nobody's going to be able to give you more true advice about your life and about your ministry than Jessica. And she's a, she already does, I know, and she's an able partner and a great partner in your ministry. But I want you to talk, think for just a moment about the downward spiral that iniquity brings into our life. He says it's kind of an evolving process. He says, do not walk, do not stand, and do not sit. The, eff, the essence of how Satan deals in our life, he wants to entice us. That's the standing part, and that's the walking part, I'm sorry. He wants to entice us, then he wants to ensnare us, then he wants to enslave us. That's how sin works. We all understand the essence of sins of commission and sins of omission. There's things that we shouldn't do, but there's also things that we should do. And it's sinful not to do the things we're supposed to do, but it's also sinful if we do the things we're not supposed to do. So we need to be guarded in our life, and I'm, I'm here to tell you as a personal testimony, but also the testimony of most Christians. We don't really have much problem with the sins of commission because we realize we shouldn't rob a bank or shouldn't hurt somebody or hit somebody. But the things that we're supposed to do sometimes that get put on the side. So I want you to be very aware of the sins of omission. And I want you to understand the downward spiral of sin here. When we neglect omission, 
it leads to commission. Do you follow that? When we neglect doing the things that we're supposed to be doing, it leads us to begin doing things we shouldn't do. The scripture tells us here, blessed is the man. What is the source of that blessing? It tells us in verse 2, and this is the whole connective in this whole little three verses we talked about. How do we realize the blessings of God? Blessed is the man. We delight in, his, in, the, law of the, in the law of the Lord. And in his law, we meditate every day and night. God's delight for you and I, Brother Scott, is that we stay close to him. That we meditate on his word. Isaiah 30, 15 says this, In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. Be still and know that he is God. Take that time and quiet time. I want to tell you this this morning. There's nothing greater that you'll ever do as a pastor than grow in your intimate relationship with God. That's true for all of us, every one of us. The greatest thing we can do, the greatest thing your pastor will ever do is to stay close to God. You know what happens when that? God empowers him like never before. He begins going everywhere and everything he touches for God's sake is going to prosper. Because why? Because God wants to show his glory through Scott. Uh, Joel gave a great idea there, but uh, we need to undergird Scott with prayer. I'm here to tell you, pastor would petition you to pray for him every day, all day long. We need that much prayer. I also want to tell you, Brother Scott, that uh, you've already had a target on your back, and Jessica as well. The target's going to get even bigger. So you need to realize that Satan doesn't want Scott to be successful. And he's going to attack him personally. Then he's going to attack his wife. Then he's going to attack his family. So we need to undergird this precious man with Scripture and with also with prayer. I want you to look around and I want you to understand and know how you're being influenced. The other thing I want you to know this morning is to look inside. Look inside and who am I becoming? What am I becoming as a man? Am I growing in the Lord? Am I seeing God in a great way? Look at verse number 3. And I want you to see something here maybe you haven't thought about before. But this is a beautiful little verse here that talks about what we should be coming and how when we do these things and understand these things, we gain these great attributes of a godly man. It says, he shall be like a tree. What does that mean? It means stability. You know, God wants you to be that oak tree, Scott. He wants you to stand tall and stand strong for him and stand in such a way as others see you. Stand tall so people can see you from a long ways off. There is a man of God right there. So the idea that we're like a tree talks to the fact that we need to be stable and have stability in our life. Planted by the rivers of water. You know what does that say? It means that we need to have the power and the strength that God desires to have us. The only way we can do that is to be that empty vessel and those living waters that God promises will flow through us. And everywhere you go, people are getting caught up in that river because they can't help but be around you and, and see, God, I want what Scott has. I want what Jessica has. I want what they have. The second thing, the third thing it says there that brings forth its fruit in its season. And this is a great way that we can measure our ministry. Is my ministry, is my life fruitful? Is my life productive? Do I have these things in my life that are making a difference in other people's lives? Am I making a difference? When we look inside ourselves, we need to ask ourselves that question, not just a pastor, but all of us. Is my life making a difference in this world? Are other people's lives growing in the Lord? Are other people's lives getting saved? Are they seeing what they need to be seeing in Christ? My life needs to be that kind of life. Then it says, whose leaf also shall not wither. That speaks to longevity, but also speaks to quality of life. Scott and I and Jessica have had some conversations about balance. It's tough to balance your life as a pastor. You know why? Because you're on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I can't tell you. I, I've been called probably every hour of the day, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock. has some funny stories. But also, when people call you, and you know what God's saying? God is saying, I had them call you, and God's saying, because I can trust you. And so a lot of times they're inconvenienced. I've told people for years that some of the most awesome ministry experiences I've ever had have come at the most inopportune times. 
in the middle of the night or sometime when I want to do something with the family, all of a sudden I got some emergency. And I had to go there. So realize that your leaf is not going to weather, and he's going to use you in a great way, but he's also going to give you longevity, and he's going to give you a quality of life. And we need to be intentional about holding on to that quality of life. Finally, it says, whatever he does shall prosper. I love that. God finishes up this precious little verse saying, if you delight in his word and if you meditate on his word, that he's going to make you successful, that he's going to prosper your touch. And that's my prayer for you today and my challenge to you too, Scott, is expect that because of the way you live. This whole scripture rests on verse number two there. In conclusion, Scott, I want you to know that the longer I live, the more deeply I'm convinced that what makes a difference between one man and another makes one man great and the other one insignificant is energy. Okay? You have great energy. We need to have God-given energy. You have it. But I want to warn you for just a second about what causes fatigue in not just pastors' lives but also Christians' lives. Fatigue comes from boredom. How could you ever be bored as a child of God? Fatigue comes from not having a dream or a vision. The Bible tells us where there is no vision, the people perish. You have a vision. Fatigue comes from procrastination. You know, unfortunately in America today, we live in kind of a mode of second opportunities. Man, I can get to that tomorrow. I'll do it some other time. That's a good idea, but I, can't, I don't have time now. Procrastination causes fatigue. Indecision causes fatigue. Guilt causes fatigue. And most of all, I believe in wrong attitude. But I don't know two people that have a greater attitude than you and Jessica do, Scott. You guys have great attitudes towards life, great attitudes towards God, and great attitudes towards people. The key, though, to energy is meditation. Meditating day and night on God's Word. Scott, let me close with this thought. I want you to look around and understand who's influencing you, but also look inside constantly and see what you're becoming and seeing how God's growing you and petition Him to keep growing you. Amy and I want you to know how much we love both of you. This church loves you and we're so thankful for you. And what an emotional laden day for me and for this staff here. Every one of them's had a little bit of a energy uh, in the emotion stage here this morning, but we're so thankful for you, Scott. And we count it all joy to serve alongside you. I'm going to ask Scott and Jessica now for just a moment to come up and sit in these two chairs here. I'm going to ask the pastors to come up and lay their hands upon them. And uh, we're going to ordain Brother Scott right now as a pastor in the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You guys come on up as well. Scott, this is a very special time uh, for me personally and for us, we as pastors, and for the congregation here at Beaverdam Baptist. What a privilege it is to, uh, to share this special time with you. Just a few quick thoughts I wanted to share with you. Uh, the first one comes from Dr. Albert Moeller, who's the president of the Southern Baptist Seminary, our Southern Baptist Seminary. Dr. Moeller is in the business of training and educating and equipping pastors. And this is how he, uh, he explains the, uh, the, the office to which you have been called. He says, The Christian pastor holds the greatest office of human responsibility in all creation. 
He's called to preach the word, to teach the truth to God's people, to lead God's people in worship, to tend the flock as a caring shepherd, and to mobilize the church for Christian witness and service. The pastor's role also includes an entire complex of administrative and leadership tasks. Souls are entrusted to his care. The truth is entrusted to his stewardship. Eternal realities hang in the balance. Who can fulfill this job description? Of course, the answer is no man can fill this calling. The Christian pastor must continually acknowledge his absolute dependence on the grace and mercy of God. And Scott, over the past year, I have had the opportunity and the privilege uh, to see you as a minister, to uh, serve along with many in this congregation on the uh, pastor selection committee. And I've said this before, and I say it again with great confidence, that Scott, you were not our first choice. You were the only choice that, uh, that came to, uh, to our eyes when we considered the many, many respondents we had Scott Pond was clearly God's choice, and for that we are eternally thankful. In closing, I want to leave you with uh, some thoughts from the Apostle Paul, who took some time to write a letter to his friend Philemon. In the book of Philemon, verses 3 through 7, Philemon is, receives a letter from Paul, the pastor to pastors, and this is what Paul had to say to, say to him. And as I read it, and I read this frequently almost every day, when I read this, I see you. Paul says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Amen. Now will you stand with me, please? We'll pray together. If I can get through this. Father God, we thank you for the privilege of recognizing your completed work in Jesus Christ, the work of calling a pastor to your service. And Father, we recognize the terrible burdens that he will endure for the faith of loving you and carrying you forward in a dark and desperate world. But dear God, we also know the promise that you have bestowed on Scott, on Jessica, and on each and every one of us, that although we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with us. You are with us to the end. And Father, we thank you for loving us, for giving your son our Savior, Jesus Christ. As we move forward this day, we give thanks to you for Scott. We recognize his commitment to your word, to the faith, and to the love he shares with Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for loving us and, we, and, and recognizing Scott as a pastor of the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for it's in his name we're privileged to pray today, tomorrow, and forever. Amen. We have uh, several gifts to give to Scott and Jessica here this morning.
Jessica, you may be seated. Jessica, we wanted you to have these flowers, and we believe it's a beautiful picture of the beautiful gift that Scott got a number of years ago as you, his bride, and his helpmate, and his lifelong companion. We thank God for you and realize that this calling is upon you just as much as it is Scott. It's tough to do. And Scott, the two greatest things we think we could give you as a pastor is another Bible, and uh, it's engraved, and it has Pastor Scott Pond in the front of it, openly appropriate for today, but also... Um, we want to give you this pulpit. And I want you to know this morning. For the very first time, we get to hear Pastor Scott Pond preach. Let's thank God for Pastor Scott. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Wow. You know, um, with uh, four pastors uh, speaking in front of me, I had three different versions. I had um, the version I originally was going to go with, then I had the abbreviated version, and then I had the really, really quick version uh, where we just um, get to the end, and uh, I think we're we're good on time. But the one thing I didn't plan for was um, the emotion. Um, I didn't, honestly, never even... Uh, dawned on me um, just how emotional I might be moved by hearing these these men in front of me who um, I look to as, as mentors um, and uh, how God has moved their lives, which is, has moved mine. Um, to start this morning, I need to, to thank a few people, and certainly uh, Pastor Gary has been a fantastic mentor um, and, and certainly a leader in my life, um, Pastor Joel as well, and that's why I asked the two of them to to, to do the two charges this morning is I wanted you to hear from them because they made such a difference in my life. Um, certainly, uh, all of you, um, you know, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for all of you. And I, I've told the students this the last couple of weeks um, that uh, yeah, they're a huge part of why I'm here this morning um, is all of them, um, seeing them being shaped, seeing them being changed by the Holy Spirit. Um, I do. I really don't think I would be standing here this morning if it wasn't for your children, if it wasn't for your, uh, for our students, um, and your children. And um, I want to say a special thank you to my family, who are so many of you are here today. And um, I'm gonna try to get through this, but it's gonna be pretty tough to get through this next part. Um, I could uh, say thank you to all of you in different ways, but I just want to speak to one story. And uh, I told my wife that she might not even be aware of this. Um, my dad probably remember, I think he was the only one in the room when this happened. <sighs> Whew, sorry. Um, I think I was about the same age as my son Grant. I was about um, 14 or 15 years old. And uh, my, um, my grandmother, my granny, my dad's mother was in uh, the Ashland Convalescent Center. And we went and visited that day, and I told my father that um, I'd been praying a lot, and um, I thought that one day I might become a pastor. And um, he, uh, we were sitting there with Granny, and she had had a stroke in one side of her body. She really couldn't move it anymore. And, and um, you know, I think Dad really wanted to uplift her that day. And he said, Scott, why don't you share with 
with Granny what you shared with me earlier. So I told her, and um, she struggled at that point to smile, but she still put a big smile on her face. And um, it was a really special moment. It stayed with me, obviously, for, for years. And um, over the past, geez, how old am I now? Um, over, the, <laughs> over the past, you know, 20-some years, um, I've t- been taken back several times to that moment. And over the past, really, a couple years, more and more and more, I mean, it would just pop in my head at the most random times. You know, I'm going to be a pastor. I'm going to be a pastor. And over the past six months, constantly, that moment has popped in my my head and you know why do I bring that up today because God doesn't do coincidence okay God doesn't do coincidence Uh, we were supposed to have this day together a couple Sundays ago in case you didn't know there was about a foot of snow we all weren't here uh, that Sunday so we moved this day Um, that's not a coincidence okay God planned for you to be in this room today just as he planned for me to share that with my grandmother, just as he shared that moment in my mind over and over again over these past years. In my 20s, did I think I was going to fulfill that promise? Absolutely not. Most of my 30s, did I think I was going to fulfill that promise? No way. But as I started to surrender myself to Jesus Christ, and I started to surrender myself to his calling, I started to say, you know, I feel like, God, you're calling me to something bigger. You're calling me to do something that I didn't even know I was ready for. I feel like you're calling me to do something that I can make a difference for you. I can make you famous. Because it's not about me. It's about you. You know, I have a question for you this morning. And it goes back to what I just said about there are no coincidences. And that question is, what brought you here this morning? Why are you here this morning? Why are you sitting in the very chair that you're sitting in? Why are you here this morning? And for some of you, it may sound like a strange question. For some of you, may have sat in that same chair for the past 10 years. Um, Some of you may be like, well, this is... Sunday and I go to church. But I want you to really pause and think about it for a minute. Why are you here this morning? And while you do that, I would ask that you turn to to Luke. We're going to go to chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. And I would ask you out of reverence and respect to the reading of God's word that you would stand with me as we read these two verses together. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. It says, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But for whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. You may be seated. You know, the first part of this verse, if you think about it, if, if you wish to come after me, if you wish to come after me, 
So this is a reminder to the believers. And keep in mind, you know, Jesus is talking to um, the disciples. He's talking to many in the crowd here, right? And he's delivering this message. And when he says, if you wish to come after me. So that's a reminder for those who have already made a choice. All right? They're reminded of that moment when they made that choice, just like we are today. We're reminded of the choice that we, that for those of us who have decided to follow Jesus Christ, we're reminded of that decision that we've made. And for those who haven't made the decision, they're being told that you will need to make one, that we're all going to have to make a decision if you wish to come after me. And then the second part when it says, he must deny himself. See, for me, standing here today, that was the hardest part. I had to deny myself. I had to deny the biggest thing, which is my selfishness. You heard in the message this morning, which again was not a coincidence, you heard energy, the word energy being used. What do you put your energy in? Another word for energy might be passion. What are the things that you're passionate about, that you really enjoy spending your time, your energy, your effort, and your money on? See, I want to talk to you this morning about surrender. And about what is the thing, or what are the things that we all need to surrender to Jesus Christ? We're doing a surrender study right now on Wednesday nights uh, with our students. Um, but even before that, it's been something that's been on my mind a lot lately. Specifically, I mean, really getting deep and saying, what am I surrendering? What am I not surrendering? What is keeping me from being just, I mean, just right there with God? What do I need to surrender to make sure that me and God are as connected as we can be? You know, self-denial or denying himself. See, you cannot claim to be a disciple of Jesus Christ if you're not willing to deny yourself. But our selfishness gets in the way all day long. Because sometimes I really want to go do that thing, whatever that thing is. Because you know what? It really does make me happy. Or you know what? It really is inconvenient if I have to go over here and spend this time doing this other thing. But you know what? That's what God has called me out to do. And how many times, and I know all of us have been in these shoes before, how many times did you say, you know what, this is inconvenient, but I'm going to go do that thing anyway. And when you did it, it was such a blessing. When you were done, you couldn't believe the blessing. And you what you thought, man, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do it. And you rationalize it to yourself. I'm going to do the thing because it's going to be a blessing to them. Right? It's going to be a blessing to these folks. So many times, it is a blessing to you. Because you're being obedient to God's calling. You're taking your selfishness and removing it, and you're saying, you know what, I'm going to surrender myself to your calling, and I'm going to do what you want me to do, not what I want to do. And that can be hard. In no way am I saying that that is an easy thing to do. But that's what we're called out to do if we're truly going to deny ourselves. The third section of this sentence says, and to take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, let's put a little context around that, all right? Keep in mind, like I told you a second ago, right? So Jesus, he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to this crowd. And keep in mind what his disciples have seen. Keep in mind uh, what, what, uh, what this crowd has seen. So they have recently seen Jesus perform miracles, right? Multiply fishes and loaves. Um, they've, uh, you know, they've seen him walk on water, um, heal the sick. So, but they're still just wrapping their mind around, you know, who exactly Jesus is. They certainly don't understand and, and have not experienced his crucifixion or his resurrection. So when he says these words, take up his cross, it's the physical cross, okay? 
what they would know the cross as is as a tool for crucifixion. So when he says, take up your cross, it's, are you willing to take this cross, this physical cross with you, knowing that you'll be crucified? And see, this morning, I want to take a look at it, and not just in the spiritual realm, but I want to take a look at this the way they would have looked at it and say, are we ready to pick up our cross and say, I'm ready for crucifixion to follow you, Jesus Christ, because to deny myself and to follow you, I'm being told this is exactly what I have to do. Now let's fast forward some 2,000 years. We have the privilege of knowing that Jesus Christ, of course, did die on the cross for our sins. That he rose three days later and he is up in heaven today and he lives in us. Amen? Jesus Christ not only lives in us, but he is right with us, transforming us if we allow him to do so. Now, I told you before, I'm not saying that it's easy. Many of you have heard my story. But I will tell you, um, so many wonderful things up here have, have been said this morning about me. I'm telling you, it's because of the grace of God that I'm standing here right now. All right? It is because, to be honest, every time I hear, Scott this, Scott that, I think, what else, what further can I surrender to Jesus Christ? Because I know that I am so imperfect. I know that I am going to make mistakes. And you know what? I want to surrender those things to Jesus Christ. I will tell you, as we're getting ready um, for, for this day, and, and uh, I, my birthday was this week, and my wife took me for, for a fantastic um, birthday excursion uh, Friday night. Um, big surprise. It was, it was all amazing. Get home with the kids. We know we have movie night um, Saturday, every Saturday night in February. Um, shameless plug. Um, during the month of uh, February um, here at church, so we know we have to get home and get ready for that. And my kids were fantastic. They were jumping in and helping. They were helping last night. And I'm like, man, this is, this is awesome. Look at our kids. Like, they got the fruits of the Spirit. They're all over it. And uh, we're doing a fantastic, they're doing a fantastic job. And all the students were doing a wonderful job. Um, and uh, I go to bed last night on my pillow, and I'm like, tomorrow's going to be a great day. I was like, everything is just at peace. And we get up this morning, and sure enough, Satan tries to show up. And um, I wake up to... Uh, one argument over here about who's going to get the runniest egg. And an argument over here about I can play the best note on the ukulele. So, uh, you know, I said, God, we need to pray because this is Satan trying to steal your joy and my joy. This is God's day. And are we really going to fight over runny eggs and a ukulele? Um, so when we worked it out, we poked, you know, we poked a couple of eggs. They all seemed to be as runny as the rest. And uh, everything worked out beautifully. But then, but then, you know, I went upstairs and I said a prayer. And I said, Satan, get behind me and get behind my family. Um, because he was not going to steal our joy this day. You know, it may sound like a silly example, eggs and a ukulele. Uh, but in that moment, you know, there was an action by the kids and a reaction by Jessica and I. We had to surrender ourselves to say, you know what? You're not going to steal our joy. We're going to make this about God, not about anything else. And again, it may sound like a silly example, but how many times in our lives 
that we go through our days. We have opportunities to surrender ourselves to Jesus Christ, but we're so caught up with what's important to us that we just miss it. It just passes us by. Now, I can, I can tell you I'm guilty of that. I, I am sure that in a day, there are so many opportunities I have to uplift someone, to show someone love, to do the most simplest acts. And I guarantee you that my life is so busy and filled that there are times where it passes me by. But you know what? That's why, again, I need to surrender myself to Jesus Christ and ask him, please, Lord, I don't want to miss any opportunity to serve you. And hear those words. I don't want to miss any opportunity to serve you. You know, this morning I want to read you a couple other verses really quick that also talk about surrender. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I uh, who, who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, it says, More than that, I count all things to be lost in viewing of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. So I ask you this morning, think about all those moments where you chose something instead of Christ. Think about all those moments where things or people are passing you by and you're not taking the time to notice them. Where opportunities are passing you by and you're not taking advantage of those opportunities. It's all rubbish. It's all rubbish. When we surrender ourselves to Jesus Christ and His calling for our lives, this is what happens. Just a simple country boy from Ashland to Beaverdam becomes a pastor? I mean, honestly, are you kidding me? But you know what? God has so many amazing things for every one of you. My story by far is not done. I don't know what God has planned for me tomorrow, but you know what? I'm super excited about it. And I just want to surrender myself to him tomorrow and say, you know what? I know I'm going to be back at work. What are you going to do? How many opportunities are you going to put right in front of me? And how can I take advantage of those opportunities? Now, I want you to do something for me this morning. I'm going to ask everybody in here to do this. If you could please close your eyes for a moment. And just keep your eyes closed and just close them lightly. Take a deep breath. Just relax. Right now, this is just about you and God. While you have your eyes closed, I want you to imagine that you and God are sitting at your kitchen table. And just really picture that for a second. Think about whatever your kitchen looks like. Maybe there's a little bit of light shining through the window on your face and on God's face as you sit across from Him. And on that table, on your side of the table, is all the things that you need to surrender. It might be some regrets. It might be sin. It might be very specific acts. But there's something you need to surrender. Now, I want you to take those things. I want you to really think about pushing them over to God at this table. 
pushing them all over to him. And I want you to pause and think about what are those couple of things that you're struggling with? What are those couple of things that you don't want to push over to him? Maybe you want to grab it back. Maybe you're not ready to let go of it. This morning I would ask you, while you're sitting at this table across from God, don't grab it back. Don't try to clutch it from God's hands. Let him have it. Give it to him. Surrender it to him. You can open up your eyes. I hope that whatever you saw this morning, whatever that, because we've all been there, whatever you wanted to reach out and, and grab, I pray that this is the morning that you can literally hand it to him. Put your hands up. Truly surrender. Put your hands in the air and say, I surrender. And give it to Jesus Christ. Don't take it back from him. Let him have it. Let him have his way with you.